Galatians 3, we are, I'm going to deal with a, a subject that I feel like I am going to do a severely inadequate dealing of the subject. I'm already setting you up to think that this is going to be the worst sermon ever. And the reason why I say inadequate, it's not that it's inept or anything like that, but because the subject is so immense that it would take an entire series by itself to describe what we know as the law. So today is a, not a 30 foot, this is like a 50 to 60,000 foot, 30 foot, really? Uh, 50 to 60,000 foot flyover of the law because my goal is to give you just a little bit of a taste or an understanding to get you to dive deeper into the subject itself. And the reason why it is so important for us to highlight is because everything that the Apostle Paul writes, which is a, a, a good chunk of the, of the New Testament, he mentions the law. And what does that mean? What is that about? I'm hoping to help you out today. Can we just pray? Jesus, we are here. And to you, we give all honor and glory for what you're doing in Sinet's family, what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing through foster care and adoptive ministry, God, to give hope to children uh, and to literally be the proof that you are father to the fatherless. You are the parent to the parentless. And there are times that you use us, the body of Christ, to be Though the presence of those entities in the lives of these beautiful, wonderful human beings that have been hit by life. And I thank you that we have this opportunity to love these wonderful children that you love. They are not forgotten. They have not fallen out of your sight. Lord, you've sent us, your body, to be your body to them. Help us and guide us. I just pray for your blessings upon the word today. Let everything go, go like seed upon soil so that we can walk away changed. Not by anything Pastor Dave has to say, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in us, and I believe he's going to change us. We speak that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be in prayer over your lines today. I don't ever bet, and I don't bet because I don't believe in gambling, but I have a friendly... Uh, conversation um, with a friend of mine from Bible college. His name is Ephraim, and I just know him as E. And uh, he sent me a tweet just saying, listen, I'm a Raiders fan. You're a Lions fan. How about this? Raiders win. You have to buy me a local climbing t-shirt. And if the Lions win, which isn't going to happen, you, ha you, you know, then I'll send you a climbing t-shirt from the New York area. I'm like, okay, I wear size medium. So I have professed by faith and that has never proven to work for the lions. So um, have you ever lived with an unknown or unseen set of rules before? And if you say no, then you're, you're single. Amen. Think about it. Because we all woke up on like after the wedding night and maybe let's just get a little grace. After the honeymoon, when real life happens with unseen or unknown sets of rules that existed that you didn't realize existed. You know, like I have a certain rule and I believe it's because Jesus lived this way. He squeezes the toothpaste from the bottom of the toothpaste only the godless squeeze from the middle of the tube. <laughs> There's a rule. And I don't have to say it. That's just life. And that's how Jesus does it. 
In our home, what I walked into on the day after our honeymoon was like my football jerseys from high school were in the garbage. Uh, high school shirts were in the garbage. All sorts of things were in the garbage because there is this rule that I didn't realize existed is if you don't use it, we get rid of it. Don't you clap for that. Some of you clapping, so either you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to clap. I'm team Ann, all right? No. You know why? Because there's memories attached to all of that. It went quiet. Everything has memories. Every scrap of paper, every little thing. I've got stuff that I keep because my wife, like yesterday, we just sold my recliner. Yes, I know there were cracks in the leather where you sat and it scratched your leg. And I know on the elbow, your elbow gets scratched because there was a tear in the leather. It has been soaked in tears from Lions games for Lord knows how long. Do you know how many hours I've invested in prayer or watching football, sitting in that seat and I sold it for $20 yesterday. <laughs> I was hugging it, I'm, I'm talking to it because of this unsaid rule that has existed now for almost 21 years that if you don't use it or if it's of no, no use or if nobody else sees value, then it's gone. I don't see, I, I see value in everything. But you know, when we get married, we have these rules that just come out that we didn't realize. It is one of my favorite things to talk with newlyweds about. What did you discover this year that you did? I didn't realize, Anne will tell you, she didn't realize I slept with a fan. She slept in silence. I'm like, that's not how Jesus slept on the boat. <laughs> you know, when the storm hit and they're like, Jesus, do you not care? He turned off his box fan. It's like, what did you say? <laughs> and for like, for like two years, I'd leave it on low. In the middle of the night, I'd wake up, turn it to medium and to begin to, to train her to get used to it. So much that when I traveled for ministry, she had to turn the fan on. Jesus lives. <laughs> We all have those things, those rules, and then they're the, what are those things? Uh, children that come along. And all of a sudden these rules come up that you didn't realize. I got a friend of mine that he has got a three, three and a half month old and he's like, like when did all these rules come up? I, all of a sudden I, I thought I knew everything about parenting and then all of a sudden this kid showed up and realized I didn't know as much and all these things have come up. Rules, 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 rules. When we look at the book of Galatians, that's what Paul is hitting on over and over and over are these, these rules that the Jews of that day would have called the laws of God. And we all have laws. We all know about laws. We all understand laws. But what began to transpire was a misunderstanding about the laws because laws, instead of that which guided us toward God, they begin to guide us toward performance. And some of us enjoy rules because rules are about control. And if we can understand a rule, we can control our own destiny. And that began to be the understanding of that, of that church culture, so to speak, that if we can listen to the rules and we can figure out what rules to obey, we actually have a hand on our own salvation and we, we play a part in that, for which Paul is trying to get them back to this idea that salvation is not based upon your performance, salvation is, is placed upon faith. 
and faith and faith alone. That's why Paul continues to repeat it over and over and over in the book of Galatians because I think it's not just something that's important for the church then, it's important for the church now. I want you to understand the main thought today is simply this, is we are accepted not based on performance, but upon the finished work of the cross. We are saved, redeemed, not based upon how good you are. Some of you are really good. Some of you, anyways, but when we think about performance, I think that we could all fall short. Sometimes we think it's in God, God's eyes, but many times it's in other people's eyes or other people fall short in our eyes. And we've lived in the society of comparison so much that we have metrics of what we feel like about other people is how we feel about ourselves or vice versa. But understand that we are accepted by Christ, not based upon your performance. Could you imagine if Christ's opinion of you was based upon your overall performance? Could you imagine that? This is what Paul is trying to get at. So Galatians chapter three, if you haven't dove into Galatians three, it is a wonderful chapter because Paul, Paul is very much a dialoguer. He's a debater. He's a conversationalist. Paul and I might not have gotten along years ago, but I'm assuming we would get along at some point. But Paul gets into this mode of answering questions as if, as, if, as if he's laying down arguments that he was expecting to come in. The idea about the law, he's like, why is the law important? What is there, is, is there a reason for the law? But he begins to talk about proofs of salvation because again, the church discovered faith in Jesus. This group called the Judaizers came in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, Jesus is good, but you've got to obey Jewish things like circumcision. And I promise you, once they got circumcised, they would have had another rule, another law, another thing connected to the old way of living, that it's Jesus plus all of these things equals salvation. But I want you to understand, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. What happens in our life should be the result of the salvation, not the cause of our salvation. And so... Paul in first, excuse me, in Galatians chapter three lays down three proofs of faith in Jesus alone. First of all, he talks about your experience. It's hard to argue with people's experience. Uh, we're gonna be going to Gatlinburg for vacation in the spring. Uh, first time I went to Gatlinburg, I bungee jumped. And I'm telling you what, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life. I loved it and I've had people say, oh no, it wasn't fun. I'm like, no, it, it was fun. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And they're arguing with me about my experience. And so the, Paul's like, listen, church, look at your experience because your experience is the first proof alone of what you've got through Jesus Christ. It was your faith. And if you look at Galatians chapter three, Paul actually lays out three different questions. The first, I think it's four to five verses, actually end with a question mark. Look at this, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing faith? With faith, are you so foolish? Having begun with, by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the spirit in you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed in God and was counted unto him in righteousness? Look at that. Paul is asking questions in order to get Galatians, the church in Galatia, which is around Turkey. Oh, Thanksgiving Turkey. Sorry, sidetracked. ADD. Paul is trying to get them to look on the inside and say, what has been your experience with Jesus? How were you saved? You weren't saved by law, by rules, by performance. You were saved by faith in Jesus. And then we get to the next section of chapter three, which is verses six through nine, that it was not just the experience, but it begins to bring up a key name in the Jewish background and history, which was the name Abraham. That was a key name to bring up, especially talking with anybody connected to the Old Testament and to the law and everything was to talk about Abraham because Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. He was the father of all of that. And he begins to use what's known as the Abrahamic argument about the background of faith because Abraham's life did not revolve around the law. It revolved around faith. Abraham lived 430 years before the law and Abraham left his home by faith. He had a child by faith. He actually was going to sacrifice Isaac by faith for which God stopped him. There are numbers of modes and, and things that Abraham moved at that he didn't move according to rules. He lived by faith. And as the scripture says that Abraham was justified, made right before God by faith. Look at that. Faith was the indicator hundreds of years ago and it's still the indicator now of our journey with Jesus Christ. And so the three proofs we got of experience, we've got Abraham, and then the third proof is the law. Look at verses 10 through 13. They each actually contain an Old Testament or a law-based quotation. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That's not happy. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 27. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk 2.4. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. That's Leviticus 18. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged from a tree, Deuteronomy 21, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through what? Faith. It's by faith. Paul is saying, let the law speak for itself. Let the law speak for itself, because if you're gonna live by the law, what does it say? Cursed be everyone who, does, who abides by most of the law. No, 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 it says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all of the law. Anybody speed on the way here? Anybody go, well, I got people confessing. All right, so if anybody went 36 into 35, you've already broken the law, this is you. But look at it, it says all of it. If you, anybody does not abide by all of it has this weighty curse. And what, what I love about Deuteronomy 27 is the fact that Deuteronomy doesn't play percentages like we play percentages. We like to weigh things out. Well, I was a better good person than a 
good uh, than a bad person. I obeyed more laws than I broke those laws. But the almost versus most doesn't count here because the idea out of Deuteronomy that Paul is bringing up is if you've broken one, then you've essentially broken them all. Now, when we talk about the law, most of you will think of the Ten Commandments. You think of Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, he meets with God, God gives him a permanent highlight, it comes down from the mountain, and it delivers the Ten Commandments. If you've never seen the movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We think of the Ten Commandments, and we think of the idea of God giving us the law in those ten. So the question is, have we broken those laws? I'm so glad you asked me. So let's kind of go over them. We'll do it like uh, David Letterman, for those of you old enough to remember David Letterman. He would do top 10 lists. We're gonna start off with the 10th and work our way to the first. Um, Let's see if any of us have broken the law of God. This is gonna be fun. How many of you have ever, please, no hands. (laughs) Unless you're watching live stream, I don't care then. That's gonna be awkward just in your living room. How many of you have ever wanted what others had? I think we're all done right there, we're all hosed. <laughs> we're all done. Uh, how many of you ever said something untrue about someone else? That lumps in the rest of us. How many of you have ever taken something that's not yours? Some of you thinking, I haven't stole anything. And when I was a kid, that was different, really? How many of you have ever cheated on a spouse? Please, no hands up whatsoever. Same thing with this one. How many have ever murdered somebody? Hands down. How many disrespected your mom or, we're gonna skip that one. How many of you have gone a week without resting? No hands, please. I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm talking about just simply finding rest. I, I find, anybody else find rust on your lawnmower? I love cutting my lawn. I do not like cutting your lawn, so nobody call me about that. How many have said God told us, God told us to do something when he actually never did? How many of us ever fashioned an image into something called an idol? Like, well, I've never created a golden calf, but yet some of us center our lives around something other than Jesus. We're gonna get, move on from that. Um, How many have worshiped that idol and put that idol above all? I mean, this sounds pretty bad and you're thinking to yourself, okay, eight out of 10, I haven't cheated on my spouse and I haven't killed anybody. It's not so bad. Look at how we automatically compare and we're trying to justify our rule breaking. And that sounds bad, but it gets worse because all of a sudden we get to that wonderfully exciting book called Leviticus, Christian jokes. And Leviticus introduces, instead of 10 laws in Exodus chapter 20, 613 laws. And then when you get to the 613 laws, they begin to build hundreds, I would argue thousands of hedge laws on top of those. And you're like, oh, that's bad, but it gets worse because Jesus comes on the scene. How does it get worse when Jesus comes on the scene? Because you remember those two laws you kind of wrote off a little bit? well, I'm not gonna cheat and I'm not going to kill anybody. Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he throws us all under the bus. Because he's like, listen, if you have harbored anger in your heart, bitterness towards somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. And if you have lusted after somebody that was not your spouse, if you are yearning for somebody 
you've committed adultery. Right there, Jesus takes it out of the mode of doing versus not doing, and he makes the issue of the law an issue of the heart. And he helps us to get rid of every little excuse that we had, that we are not as bad as other people, that we are not as bad of sinners. It's amazing how we like to make other people bad just to make ourselves feel a little bit better. Jesus sweeps the leg, Johnny. There's a Karate Kid reference. Jesus completely says, listen, every single one of you, you've all broken the law. Stop trying to find ways out of not being a sinner. We are sinners. And so when we look at the law, the law was more, more, more than doing versus not doing. It was the issue of the heart. And Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he wants us to feel the weight of that. And so Paul comes in in Galatians three, and he just simply says this, if you're trying to use your own performance as a means of salvation, the only way for that to work is if you obey the law perfectly 100% of the time since you were born. We're all sunk. There's just this, it just doesn't seem like there's any type of hope. And so when we think about why God gave the law, I just want to do a little flyover for you this morning. Why would God give the law and how can we actually look at the law in what I would say a more understandable, digestible way? Two things I want you to understand about the law is this. Number one, the law was never meant to be a checklist of moral code, but a comprehensive picture of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. It was not necessarily meant to be this checklist. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Not so good, 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 good. I mean, the scripture says, no one is righteous, no, not one. And I submit that the law was not there to be our checklist to see how good we are, but I would submit that it was a comprehensive picture on the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. And when we look at the law, we see really the captured character of God and his holiness, that he is a holy God and next to him that we don't have standing before him by ourselves because if we thought we did, we just merely look at the law and realize that we're broken, we are fractured people away from him. But it wasn't just the idea of his character, but the law itself, secondly, wasn't given with the intention to save us. In fact, if you look further in Galatians, you'll see the law was a guardian, or in the Greek, it's actually more translated, it was a nanny. There to tend to the people, not as the point of salvation, but to lead us toward the need of a savior. I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says this, we are more sinful and flawed than we imagine, yet we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ more than we ever dared to hope. I thought this was a great description of what the law truly revealed. The law was to point us toward a need of salvation and it shows us we are all sin and flawed more than we imagine. Turn your neighbor and say, you are more flawed than you'll ever imagine. Some of you shouldn't listen to me. <laughs> I got newlyweds, I'm seeing you right here. You're sharing that, that's not, the, not, that's not sexy talk. <laughs> we are all in need of a savior, but understand that your need for a savior 
doesn't deter him away from how much he loves you because you are more loved and accepted than you'll ever dare to imagine. I wrote it this way. God doesn't unconditionally accept our behavior, but he unconditionally accepts us. God doesn't unconditionally accept our law-breaking behavior, but he unconditionally accepts us. Why do I word it that way? As I was beginning to think about what Keller wrote, I began to understand that so many of us wish to clean up our behavior so we are more acceptable to God, understanding that the cleanup doesn't happen pre-accept, it happens post-accept. Because I can't clean anything up and fix anything until I get that which needs to be fixed inside of me fixed. And the law helps me to recognize that. In fact, think of it this way. The law that God gave was not the engine. It wasn't the train. It was the train tracks. And the train tracks led into a direction, direction, but it was powerless to move the people. You know what has the power to move people? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's what Abraham understood hundreds of years ago. It was faith in his creator knowing that the law may have pointed feet, but the law doesn't move the feet. The law makes you feel like you're missing out on everything, but that's why the law was there to point us towards something that is so far beyond our broken self. The law made us look on the inside and say, man, I am broken. I am missing out, but I'm also recognizing that I need something beyond me, and that's something came in the form of a savior and his name is Jesus. You see, the law points us toward grace and grace empowers us to live out his law. Some of y'all need to seal on that a bit. The law itself pointed us toward the need that we had which was his grace, Jesus. And it's his grace that empowers us to live to the law. Well, pastor, maybe we've got to obey the 10, the 613, the thousands, and all these other things. No, 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 because Jesus, Jesus wanted to make it simple for people to find and follow him. And he's like, let me, let me condense it all. Let me give you the cliff notes. Do they still have cliff notes nowadays? All right, the cliff notes, the Reader's Digest version, of all of the law is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love one another as you love yourself. Grace points us toward the law and enables us to live that out. I love that. The good news is the law itself, this is what's so cool when you, act, when you really study it, is, is the law actually doesn't pinpoint not necessarily how bad you are, but actually points us toward the answer, which is faith. Verse 11 of chapter three, it is evident that the righteous shall live by faith. That comes from Habakkuk chapter two. Some of you have never known there's a book of the Bible called Habakkuk. It's just a fun word to say. And it's very hard to find if you're unfamiliar with your Bible. But the book of Habakkuk just literally says, the one who by faith is, uh, is made righteous and will live. That is the literal Hebrew translation. That when you are living by faith in Jesus, when you place your faith that you are given right where the law says you're cursed and you're broken when you live by faith, Jesus gives you the standing up above the brokenness. The law was meant to be the thermometer. The gospel is the thermostat. 
Where the law says you're broken, here's the temperature of your life, you're broken. Oh, give me a new revelation, Pastor Dave. But the revelation is that God didn't leave us in the place of brokenness. He gave us Jesus and it's faith in him, not in our works or in performance of a law or obeying rules. It is faith in Jesus that helps us to rise out of our brokenness and gives us the right standing. And it's through that right standing that we can actually obey and follow his law. It is through him. I wrote this down earlier this week. The law is doing what is expected so that you can be accepted. Following Christ is about being accepted so that you can live what is expected. Man, how many of us, we have served expectations wondering if that's gonna one day help us to be accepted. But here's some marriage help this morning. What if we helped our spouse know that they are loved and accepted because that would actually ultimately help them to live out what's expected? How many of us are waiting for our spouse to do something we expect so that they'll feel accepted? Let me help heal your marriage. Let them feel accepted and loved. Let them know what they're doing right so they'll live out what is being expected. Imagine if we communicated with our friends and our neighbors that don't know Christ. Instead of treating them like they've got something so vastly wrong with them and we don't wanna catch their sinful cooties. I'm so glad that Jesus was a friend of sinners because I wouldn't be here if he wasn't. I had a pastor this week tell me, people call him a friend of sinners. Jesus wasn't actually a friend. I'm like, dude, you're reading the wrong gospel. Jesus friended us lawbreakers. And he, he accepted us, loved us, didn't approve of every one of our decisions but he just accepted us and out of that love and that engagement, we begin to step out of that into that which he expects us to do, which is walking in a way that is congruent with his character. And so following Christ is about getting his acceptance so that we can live out what is expected in our relationships, in our business dealings, in our friendships, in the way that we navigate our finances, in the way that we conduct our lives when nobody else is watching. We live out what he expects from the place of exception. The other way around is trying to earn our way and you can't do that. That's law-based living. And I believe God has called us to be, I called the title of the message today, Lawless. Not living by performance of laws, but living by acceptance so we can live out what he's expected. I wanna read you out of the message paraphrase. Verse 19 through 20. It says, friends, let me give you an example from everyday affairs of the free life I'm talking about. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one else can annul or add to it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his descendant. You observe that scripture and in the careful language of a legal document does not say to the descendants, we're referring to everybody in general, but to your descendant referring to Christ. This is the way to interpret this. A will earlier ratified by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later, thereby negating the promise of the will. No, this addendum, with its instructions and regulations has nothing to do with the promise, inheritance, and the will. What is the point then of the law? What is the point of the law? 
It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. The purpose of the law was to keep sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, inheriting the promise and distributing them to us. Obviously the law was not a firsthand encounter with God. It was arranged by angelic messengers through the middleman, Moses. But if there is a middleman as there was at Sinai, then the people are not dealing directly with God, are they? But the original promise is the direct blessing of God receiving by faith. That's the key. The purpose of the law was to keep people, a sinful people in the way, in the direction of salvation. The law wasn't the way to salvation. It was the point us towards salvation in Jesus Christ. The law is a fascinating topic. Too much for us to digest in one service. But if we can understand why, what Paul is referring to and why he is so adamant throughout the book of Galatians, and then you get into Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, boy, you can go into any one of the other Pauline epistles and see him talk about the law. I'm going through Romans right now in my personal life and just reading over and over and over and over about the law. He's trying to get people to understand the law. The law was there, it was necessary, but it was never the way. And when we make it about performance, when we make it about rules, it's usually just about what we can control and what we can do and what we can accomplish. And it's no wonder we've got so many discouraged Christians that we don't see the results of what we accomplished and the designated results that we desired instead of doing things in such a way as serving Jesus and allowing the results to be left up to him. Following the law is about completing what you began, but following Jesus is about continuing what he completed. Let me say that again. Following the law is about completing what you began, but following Jesus is all about continuing what he completed years ago. It's learning to take his grace. Everything the law pointed toward is to take his grace and say, what will I do with this now? And the law led us toward grace. And grace empowers us to begin to live out his law. What's his law? It's to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. His grace helps us to love him. His grace helps us to follow him even when we don't understand what he's doing or saying or where he's leading in the moment. There are times where my feelings tell me that God has left me, but I know in my mind, I know in my heart of hearts, he hasn't left me because that's the truth of the scriptures. He hasn't left me or he hasn't forsaken me. And so I have to, by faith, love him and trust in him and lean into him. And it helps me, his power helps me then to live out the second part of that which is to love people as I would love myself, which many times is difficult for me because it's hard to love people when I'm not loving myself. And there are times that I've got to just let his grace help me to love me and help me to love others because as we begin to do that, we begin to make his law complete. Some of us are so busy trying to complete an Old Testament law thinking it garners us anything in Christ. And 
we've got it all backwards and we're making our lives miserable. But what if we started with Jesus and we started with that which the law was actually pointing towards? Abraham got it hundreds of years ago. Abraham got it 430 years before the law existed when he was made right based upon his faith. And that is what the law was meant to do, was point us toward the thing that led Abraham toward God and the thing that leads us toward Jesus. Bow your heads with me if you would. Thank you, Jesus.